Hello, this is Thomas Hübel, and today we will be mapping collective trauma on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix. The matrix not only reminds us to stop and assess before rushing into recommendations, but it highlights three very important factors in our care, therapies, and outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Thomas Hubel. Thomas Hubel is a visionary teacher, innovator, and author. His teaching combines somatic awareness practices, advanced meditative practices, and transformational processes that address both individual and collective trauma. Thomas is the founder of the Academy of Inner Science, an institution utilizing a distinctive approach to exploring consciousness, evolution, and the junctures between mysticism and science. He is also the founder of the nonprofit The Pocket Project, whose mission is to help foster the deep healing of past planetary traumas and the alleviation of suffering in the world's current conflict zones through powerful, large scale group processes. He draws students from a wide range of backgrounds, including the physical sciences, social sciences, medicine, law, anthropology, and art. His book, Healing Collective Trauma, will be released later this year, and I cannot wait to get my hands on it. Please note that this episode is just a wee bit longer than my usual Friday commitment to you. That's because I didn't want the conversation to end. I think you'll feel the same. So let's get started. Thomas, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm thrilled to have this time with you and to share you with our community here. Yes, Andrea, I'm so happy you invited me. Thank you for having me here. I'm honored. Well, we tend, Thomas, to think through an individualized lens, and trauma can absolutely happen at an individual level. But you speak to us about stepping back and broadening our understanding of collective trauma would you help us understand both examples and some of the impact of collective trauma and shifting our perspectives to embrace this reality? Yes, of course. As you said, like we can see trauma as uh, an overwhelming experience that affects our nervous system, our whole embodiment, our emotional experience, and has long-lasting effects in many ways uh, very often. And so, as you said, we, we often tend to see it uh, within our own biographical story or history. Mm-hmm. When we 
zoom out a bit, we see, wow, trauma happened to me maybe personally, it happened to me as a child, as an attachment trauma, but the fact that it happened to me as a child means that my parents carried some trauma, mm -hmm. and then maybe their parents carried some trauma, and my grandparents uh, were, you know, experienced the Second World War, and, and so on and so on. And then we see we are actually sitting in a systemic trauma situation that, of course, has waves of inflicting more massive trauma than having times where we digested this over generations. And then there were maybe other impacts, like look at Europe, look at colonialized countries, look right. at you know, all around the world. So there are major scars and we are actually living or have, we have been born into scar tissue mm. or wounds. Yeah. So my personal existence is not just separate from the environment, it's kind of interdependent, as we see right now with COVID, that's right. how interdependent the world is. I think if we look at trauma through this personal lens, which is important for the healing process in some sense, of course, because otherwise we externalize our trauma and project it onto, onto the collective. But I think it's important to see that there are systemic effects that we call normal, because we don't know the world any other way, but they are not normal. Hmm. They are effects of wounds. And I think every medical professional would say, hey, Thomas, if I walked and came up to you with a massive wound on my arm, and I say, listen, Andrea, I'm suffering constantly and I have these deep uh, inflammations, you know, life-threatening inflammations. I said, yeah, Thomas, but your whole arm needs a treatment. You know, right. you need to take care of that wound. And so... There is some of the trauma that is not so connected to our bio biography that I think we normalized in a way the wounds without knowing that we did that because it's an unconscious process because we don't know the world in a, any other way. And so I, I think that's a, a short, a very short description of the systemic or as a friend of mine, Christina Bettel calls it, a syndemic that mm. everybody in a system is affected uh, by the traumatization of our societies. Yeah, it's so, it, it just impacts me so deeply when you talk about this, Thomas. It really brings us to the importance of the antecedents and then every single trigger that we might experience in our own personal biography or the biography of those that we're serving is actually a trigger that's on top of, that's basically salt in an existing wound. Mm, exactly, exactly. And then, and then we experience the after effects, they are cumulative, you know, they get stronger and stronger and stronger. And then we, we suffer from like a, an echo wave in, a, in an echo chamber or in a, in a cave. So and it's sometimes it's very hard to really get to the root of the symptoms, because they are so multidimensional. Right. And I think that puts us in front of a very uh, interesting challenge, I think, that everybody who is interested in more health and more resilience and more sustainability, I think we are all facing that question. And we as healers, whatever we call ourselves, Thomas, you and I have had discussions about how we are often acting from our places of trauma and then in some ways, enacting that trauma in our practices and even on other people. Can you talk about how the collective impacts those of us who are here 
to serve and help? Right. First of all, you said something important, which I totally underline. And not only underline, I think it's it's essential to know that my own embodiment, which means my conscious experience of my physical self, my, my emotional qualities, my mental qualities, maybe my spiritual qualities, my relational qualities. So there is a level of coherence and trauma creates fragmentation or incoherence. And so when I receive a patient or a client, only the level of my inner coherence is the resource that I can offer to my client right. in order to deal with the fragmentation. And especially when we deal with trauma, I can know a lot about trauma, but if I'm traumatized myself in the same places as my client is, and I didn't work on this and integrate it, I will actually strengthen the trauma in my client because even if I know a lot about it, I won't be able to physically, emotionally, mentally create a field of resonance for its integration. And the same is true for ancestral trauma and, and so on. And I think that puts us, like that makes our own inner work as healers, therapists, consultants, doctors, I think important because we are a part of, we are the, the instrument of healing. Right. No matter which kind of um, modality we practice because it's based on a deep level of resonance. And, and I think that's why our own healing becomes actually the benefit that all our clients and patients benefit from. And I think that's really lovely because everything that I look at, hundreds or maybe thousands of people will benefit from that. I think that's a great gain, systemic gain of um, resources. And when we're looking at this collective trauma, you talk about kind of a reactivation. And as you're speaking right now, I'm thinking about the ways that we end up reactivating in our clients and our audience if we haven't done the work, which I want to talk to you about is, is that recognition? Where do we need to go with that work? But can you talk a little bit more about the reactivation of collective trauma layers? Yeah. I mean, one level of reactivation is, for example, through collective events. There are wildfires on right. the West Coast. There, is, um, there are massive reactivations of unresolved racism in the U.S. There mm -hmm. is uh, unresolved stuff from the Second World War when refugees from Syria come into Europe. And so, and climate change is going to add a lot of systemic stress and even more so if we didn't integrate the former levels of collective trauma. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, if if I work with a client, um, the sometimes even giving too much information. Yes. Overloading the system of my client. And sometimes I give more information because I can't feel certain parts. Mm. So overloading somebody with more intellectual information when the person actually needs a safe relation in order to be able to come into a deeper resonance of trust, into a deeper resonance of two nervous systems, into a, a deeper resonance that we can touch the places that actually have been hurt, that needs a lot of safety. And often if I carry some early wounding that I 
am hesitant in relating. So when other people bring as clients their wounding to me, we are actually not able to establish a safe field. And then I will bring compensatory actions into the process that add stress to the system and not relieve stress in the system. And I think that's a, that's a, um, so that's what we are working on in some of the supervision work. We are looking, if I cannot relate to you directly on a certain level of your being, then I will actually choose a compensatory function of myself to bridge what I cannot do directly. And I think that happens in so many variations in, in, in process work. And, um, and that activates uh, trauma layers often. We have been often conditioned by a world where the physical, emotional, and mental information is disynchronized. So parents that say A, but feel B. Mm. And the child gets two levels of information. It's not a simple example, but and so what does the child do? Does it believe the mental information or what the child feels in the body? Mm-hmm. So my mother says I'm fine, but the mother is actually very sad. The child knows that the mother is sad, but the mind says fine. <laughs> and and this kind of inauthenticity transfers itself to the next generation. So it, it creates an effect. And I think we, we grew up in a society where many people around us displayed that kind of inner fragmentation in a, in a mild way or in a very obvious way. And, and I think that's the world that we have learned from, stuff about that, that world. And I think that's a very complex landscape to navigate in. And I think it needs also us as a community of healers, practitioners, you know, coming together and supporting each other to, to learn more about this because we are all like open and present in certain parts and maybe less present and absent in others, but we are not all absent in the same parts. And mm-hmm. that makes a we field and also what you create here right now with your podcast. And you know what, what this brings people together to uh, explore in we spaces. And I think that's deeply intelligent. Mm, so much in what you just shared, Thomas. I I call some of what you're talking about the empathy trap and the education gap when we are in the empathy trap. We're trying to be the bridge, not build the bridge, right? We're trying to fix, not feel is what you're talking about. And that's a mistake a lot of practitioners make because they think they're helping by fixing or rushing in to be the be all end all. And that's not really holding the space. Also, that education gap is where we talk over people's heads to deal with our own trauma of not being enough versus really landing what's needed for them in the moment and something I'm constantly trying to remind practitioners. But you talked about the we field, and I think this is important where we have common language and recognition as a group of uh, healers, as people who are coming to a space that we can recognize is broken and isn't looking at the whole picture. And that inner fragmentation, that term in and of itself, gives me chills, Thomas, because we are so fragmented from our bodies. And that fragmentation that you're talking about, from my lens as a functional medicine nutritionist, people don't 
know what they're feeling anymore. We've overridden and put our bodies in the hands of others who we think are going to fix it versus that resonance, that deep gut feeling that our ancestors once had. That's right. And you, you described something beautiful, like two things. We spoke about fragmentation and disembodiment, which go hand in hand. But fragmentation is if you imagine you're looking through the window into your garden or to the city and the window is broken. So you see the cracks in the glass. The, the, the thing is only because that's there already for a long time. Our brain photoshopped the cracks and they look like intact windows. Right. The, 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 the big question is, it's not about like we are not aware of what we are not seeing. That's the issue. Yes. I'm not aware of the information that doesn't arise in my awareness. So when I look at a client or a patient, I don't know what I don't see. I right. find out through frictions and stuff that doesn't work or where we get stuck. But I don't know this in the moment when it happens. And the other part is is also that the, you know, I came once into Kathmandu in the night on the plane. And then I looked down onto the city and they turn off the, the electricity in some parts of the city at night to save electricity. And then there was this dark spot and I sat on the plane and said, wow, that's interesting. I cannot tell from the perspective of the plane if that's a part of the city where there's no electricity. So houses without light, that's a forest, a lake, mm. part of a mountain. I don't know. Right. And I thought, wow, that's a genius explanation for the unconscious the parts of our nervous systems in our bodies that are dimmed down where we are more absent, they are vacant. It's not, but the, if it's a part of the city, life is happening there from, from the plain perspective, from the perspective of the I, the self, I don't know what's happening in that part of my body. I can't feel myself mm -hmm. there. And so processes are happening there, but without my awareness. Mm. And that's that's very interesting because there are spots in our in the whole complexity of our nervous system that are turned off in a way, but it doesn't mean that the lights turned off, but the room's still there, and and I think these two elements are very important because that also means my feedback mechanism with my environment on many levels, the feedback loop is not working because the data transfer is not working well. And the data transfer between my upload to my brain and my download into my body is also not working well. And those are the areas where I think you, with uh, your work, you know very well how all the imbalances in the physiology and in the functionality of the body mm -hmm. start you know, to disintegrate in lower versions of into lower versions of coherence. And so I think you spoke to two fundamental parts. And th that's what makes trauma so, so um, complex, because I don't know what I don't see. Mm. And uh, so we need to find ways how to find out. I'm struck with so many things. But one of the things I'm struck with is thinking about how the evolution of science in relation to medicine and care has done a bunch of good. And we don't want to deny that, but it's also created a huge blind spot that is in essence creating a collective trauma 
particularly for those who are suffering from chronic conditions that aren't served by the system we say is supposed to serve it. Mm. Yeah, I think the part that's missing, because I think all the achievements and all the technological achievements and, you know, everything that we found out through science, I think is fantastic. But what's often missing is the, is we, and that's, I think there's a danger that we try to get rid of that more and more, is a deep relational or healing relation. Yes. When a, when a patient or a client comes into the room, in this first few minutes of meeting each other, the mindfulness of creating a safe space can save so much time afterwards yes. because the stress levels that clients and patients are in when they come in, anyway, they're, they're in, a, in a fragile or vulnerable part of their life at the moment, then they meet a doctor that is not, or a nurse or a therapist or a coach or whatever, that is not fully present and is not, so the, the patient cannot relax into a safe relation. I feel you feeling me immediately creates a co-regulation that creates a, a feeling of, oh, I feel seen. And I, I feel, I, I think every one of us had moments when other people saw us deeply. And we all know how that feels and how good that is when we really feel seen. So to add to the medical system just that relational competence that I feel you feeling me yes. looks like an additional investment of time. But on the long run, it's such a saving of time because when my, when my uh, patient is in a state of receiving the information, so many people walk out of uh, the doctor's practice and uh, or office and say, okay, what did the doctor say? I didn't fully understand. I didn't. And that's a sign of stress. That's yes. not because I'm not able to understand what you're saying. It's, it's because I was too busy with managing my stress. And I think there are many things where relational competence, also with trauma, in my understanding, trauma, in the deeper trauma work is always stored in a space-time location in the nervous system. So when a person was had been traumatized at three years of age, so the trauma is stored on the kind of a file that is stored in the nervous system. So in, in our work, we train to become very precise to locate the trauma information in the nervous system on that level of development. But for this, I need to be willing to be in a deep resonance with my client. I cannot do that intellectually. I need to use my whole body, my emotional and cognitive system. And so I think there are many relational competencies that are not so hard to train. What makes it harder that we need to go through our own integration, most probably. Yes. But that those would add so much to the great medical achievements that we also see. And I think you're right. I think if we would add some of the supplements parts, I think that would give a great symphony. Yeah. I mean, what you're speaking to is how I look at how we've lost clinical intuition and mastery in favor of the cure. And it's this intuition piece that doctors used to actually practice with. They'd sit at the bedside. They'd get curious. They didn't pretend to have all the answers. They recognized that there were unknowns. And the unknown is really the person sitting in front of us. 
that we need to take that time that you're talking about to see them. And like you said, we all know the difference between when we're feeling seen and heard and when we're not feeling seen and the frustration and the impact to the nervous system. Thomas, we will link in the show notes to all your training, all that you have coming up. But when we're having this conversation right now, are there any particular things that you can share with us that we can do to start to activate this deeper awareness of collective trauma and how we start to face it and work with it? Yeah, I think just to to explore like this notion of collective trauma that it's in our system, it's in our social structures, it's in our language patterns, it's in our behaviors, it's in in the whole collective conscious and unconscious. So once I pay attention, oh, wait a minute, maybe there is something that I didn't pay attention to. Aspects of it will come more into someone's awareness, into my awareness, just by me paying attention to it. And the second thing is to to see the smaller symptoms like the fragmentation and to start to practice when we sit with people, when we talk to people, I feel you feeling me. Mm. I feel you feeling me. And, and just that loop of two nervous systems allowing a, a resonant field is very powerful. And, and also we will notice when it's not happening, and it's not happening because we, we are part of a collective trauma fracture that's going through uh, the relational space. And so whenever we see, you know, when we see conversations on TV or in politics or in, in our public space, we see so many trauma symptoms being enacted. And I think once we, we, we become more skilled to notice that some of it, this is symptoms, these are symptoms, and what's the deeper level that creates them? Instead of constantly coughing in the smoke and not taking care of the fire. Mm. And I think through presencing, through mindfulness, through relational capacities, and through my own inner awareness, I actually deepen my own life to live more, first of all, to live more an essential life, and to live more in the place that can recognize the source and not the, like the fire and not the smoke. And the last thing maybe is that I don't believe in individual health without the collective component. Mm-hmm. There is no separate individual. The individual is always interdependent, interconnected, interbeing. And so like individual health comes with the a healing movement in the collective they are kind of entangled like quantum entangled yes and and i think that when we stop being so hypnotized by the person but seeing the person as a as a system that is kind of an infinity loop within the collective and the individual i think that would also add a lot especially to what you spoke to to the chronic diseases that we um, that is very hard to that they are very hard to treat in in with certain uh, methods. Yes, yeah, so beautifully said. I really appreciate your time, Thomas. All your work, and I spent this entire conversation feeling connected to you, seen. I see you seeing me. I feel connected. I feel part of a collective. 
I am so grateful to be able to bring everybody into our conversation today. So thank you for sharing your wisdom. You, Andrea, I feel the same. I also feel the deep resonance. So thank you for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready for you, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with us. We want to hear your feedback, who you'd like to hear on the next podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 